0: Hello friends, welcome back to Lingering on the Lectionary, where we reflect on the life of the churches, the local academy, and the rhythm of the church's liturgy. Thanks for being here. Today I talk with Dr. Mickey Klink about the priority of the local church and the strategic significance of biblical theology. Pastor Mickey has written extensively in both of these fields and also cares deeply about the organic interrelationship between them. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome, Dr. Klink and Pastor Mickey. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to be chatting about some of your work in biblical theology and local church ministry. But before we jump in, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your pastoral and academic ministry? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh,
1: Edward W. Klink III is my legal name, but I go by Mickey and uh, I am a pastor, senior pastor of an EFCA Evangelical Free Church in Northern Illinois, just north of Rockford, Illinois, where I where I was born and raised in Rockford, Illinois, and I've been here just over eight years now. But I was a professor of New Testament at Talbot School of Theology and Bible University uh, for nine years before that. Uh, so went through Trinity uh, Divinity School and St. Andrew's PhD in New Testament, and so I'm a bit of a tweener between the academy and the church. I still Mm -hmm. teach at TEDS uh, part-time, obviously, and then pastor full-time, and continue to participate in the ecclesial and academic discussion of God's Word and God's world
0: in writing. All right, great. We'll be talking about uh, both of those areas, uh, but uh, let's start with last year you published a book called The Local Church, What It Is and Why It Matters for Every Christian with Crossway. Um, this is uh, a small book, uh, a relatively small book, and written for pastors and a lay audience. Um, what would you say some of the core claims you make in this book are, and then what are you hoping to accomplish with a book like this?
1: Yeah, I it, it's it's actually the first book I've written that is intended to be for the average church member i mean i've written some works that are more textbooks right so students at a college level or certainly seminary but i wrote this book with my church or my kind of church and my kind of church christian in mind because i just saw there was a huge need to make an argument for the local church and it it happened to be that all the proposal for this and everything happened before covid hit so it was actually during covid when the book was finished when mm-hmm. i finished writing it but 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 covid revealed all the more the need for this but but i'd been sensing since i worked with young adults when i was out in california uh, my wife and i ran our local church's young adult ministry when i was professoring out in california and we it, i talk about this in the beginning of the book i had a fascinating conversation with a very bright, young adult who just tried to make an argument that the church is not only unnecessary, Mm -hmm. it injures or wounds the mission of God and the work of Christians in the world. And it was that conversation that led me to say, I think there's something here that needs to be said, and at least got me thinking about it. And recent literature in the last decade or so has revealed there is a growing number of the nuns or the duns, Those Mm -hmm. who are literally trying to do Christian without the church and even argue it like a book by a person named Kelly Bean, who would say how to be the Christian, how to be a Christian without going to church. And so there needs to be some kind of a statement. And mine is certainly not a definitive one. Many other people and other ministries are writing on this. And I think that's just part of God's providential care for his people. But I just wanted to be one voice, one contributor. And my book really tries to do two things. It pastorally is making a case for the church for the individual Christian. And it's, call it at a biblical theological level, it's trying to explain what the church does, what the church is, how the church works. So there's a little meatiness to it, and then I'm giving a bit of a steak dinner. It's not a a bunch of French fries. Um, But at the same time, it's a bit of a plea, uh, a sermon, so to speak, that's saying, hey, the church matters to God and as a christian the church should matter to you and Mm -hmm. i even end the book i mean it's five basic chapters where i answer five basic questions but my sixth chapter is i take 20 common questions like i emailed fellow pastors friends Mm -hmm. academics what what topics would you think should be explained and i try to answer each of them in about three 350 words so it's like, why do we meet on Sunday? And what, how, how do I choose a church? And various things that I hope would have some practical value for a Christian. And uh, that was my goal. So mm-hmm. I hope it wasn't trying to do too much academically or too, too much pastorally. But my goal was to have a book that would speak into both those realms to the individual Christian.
0: Yeah, I appreciate the way you uh, articulate that as well, because I think the... Um... You, know, you said put a little meat on it. You know, it's not like French fries, like the you mentioned the McDonaldization of the church. Uh, this kind of more like a, a Texas Roadhouse version of <laughs> ecclesiology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but I one of the things I thought was helpful about your book is it is it is brief, it's small, it's it's nice to hold. You can pick it up uh, and uh, you don't sprain your wrist or something. Uh, but I think what someone that reads it with uh, an open, you know, an open heart is going to realize is that there's there's more theologically robust um, issues and support and uh, content uh, than sometimes that we typically think when we think of the church. Um, either sometimes we're even students or even kind of people already in ministry when they think about studying the church, they might be thinking about. Church government, governance, or, you know, particular issues, but bringing those all together in a, a thick theological framework uh, really creates a, a different starting point for thinking about the church.
1: Oh, definitely. And I, I mean, maybe this is just me, maybe it's, I don't know if it's my personality or just academic influence in general, but I think it can be helpful for Christians to have categories To understand how things work or why things work whether they're biblical categories key themes or structures in scripture but at a practical level thinking of the offices of the church or thinking of Mm -hmm. the church as both an institution and an organism those are really helpful categories for understanding why and how things happen in the local church but but just at a pastoral level we we need to we need to be making a case for the church in word and in deed Mm -hmm. um and my own story of moving from the academy to church is is partly that passion for saying that the mission of the church is important as other parachurch or other things that God uses in the world. The mission of the local church for me is definitive for what I'd like to commit my life and energy to, Lord willing, um, but at the Christian level, that that's true for every individual Christian and their local church.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, you say earlier in the book, um that the book was written with the pastoral intention of offering a resource for catechizing Christians by explaining the church to them. I really appreciate that because it points to this ecclesial dynamic of not only the importance of teaching within the context of the local church, but also the importance of teaching about the meaning of the local church. Uh, so thinking sometimes in, you know, in theological interpretation movement in the academy, or just even thinking about uh, training students to be uh teaching within the context of the church and how important the uh that context is sometimes what's missing is the meat and potatoes of why why you you should be grounded there and some of the implications of doing teaching and ministry uh within that setting
1: Well, yeah and i and i would say i mean i mean at least a it's a small data sample but my own experience of moving from the academy where all my colleagues And really, the majority of my students had a pretty good biblical literacy to just go into an average local church in the very region in which I grew up and seeing I needed to re-explain baptism, Lord's Supper, why we meet on Sundays, Mm -hmm. basic truths of the Christian faith. And I can only imagine in our Christian tradition, that's probably true in almost every church. Like we've even we've even adjusted the way we do church to have what we call a growth hour, we call it Sunday school hour, or whatever. But we we literally have catechizing as part of the process of the local church. Like we're still having our corporate worship, of course, but we feel like we actually need intentional classes that take people through the Old and New Testament, that give them basic doctrine and biblical theology, that that help them understand some church history, that learn how to apply not only. The, the word of God to their own lives, but to the world cultural questions and issues like we think we need to. Where else are Christians going to learn that they mm-hmm. should be? That's part of being a disciple. But certainly regarding the local church, we almost need to explain what we are and what we do. And yeah. again, this book was an attempt to try to do that.
0: Yeah. And I think that's uh, particularly pressing in our culture where You address this a couple chapters in when you start talking about some of the misconceptions about what church is and what is what it is not. One that I think anybody that's in ministry for any length of time is going to run into is this notion that the church is really a metaphorical way of speaking about something else, as you mentioned, like community relationships or doing life together. Um, And sometimes that means watching the football game, you know, or something like that, uh, being together, or even something closer to like an individual pursuit of the spiritual disciplines and that kind of being the um the terminus of what somebody thinks of as the context or the community of the church
1: Well, oh, and it's funny because there's almost been a, a it's almost felt like in light of our i mean i'm i'm speaking from the hip and when i say this but in light of the focused on the individual and our culture and the anti-institutional nature that we've almost changed language so Mm -hmm. even the church will speak not of its institutional nature but it'll say you need to plug into community and we're not a building we're a people and there's truth in that but you also are something physical you're embodied Mm -hmm. and the gathering is actually significant and the reality is yes community but it's not the church is not just any spiritual intentional gathering right like mm-hmm. the the church is more than that and i just don't think at least in the way i was taught christianity by good intentioned people that that was actually explained i think my exposure to this was when i saw the broader scope and the deeper teachings of scripture but also just a little bit of church history mm-hmm. that i could have a little bit of context to see our own moment and say hey we need we're a little off here like if we were put a level the level of scripture to our cultural church moment, we'd be a little off and we should tip it a little bit. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not crumbling, but we need to be realigned so that our individual life is connected to the life of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, they are, that's probably every generation needs to be reforming itself to the word of God yeah. and asking and hoping and trusting
0: that the spirit of God is going to
1: be doing that in our midst.
0: Yeah. Well, and you mentioned um, the pandemic earlier, you know, in one sense, we could all kind of tell our, our war stories about doing ministry in in a time of pandemic. But there's one sentiment that the global pandemic changed a bunch of things, which, of course, it did. But in terms of like the way that we view community versus virtual or embodied In some ways, uh, and others have said this, too, but it wasn't as much of things changing, but it's an exposing of things that were already there Uh, stirred up or, you know, it revealed the way that most people had already started thinking about church.
1: Yeah, and which is why every, every generation needs to make sure their moorings are connected to the biblical prescriptions and descriptions of what it means to be human, what it means to be Christian, what it means to be the church. So, yeah, this little book that I intentionally wrote so that people in my own congregation, as an example, could manually read it. A small group could use it and go through it, right? There are discussion questions at the end of mm-hmm. each chapter, like just something that would be accessible to people. Maybe even my own teenage kids, who knows? Right. Probably, <laughs> but <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> that they could read it and get a little bit of a. Understanding of it, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think I think that's it. we're in a moment where the church needs to be argued for and I would say let's do it
0: Yeah, and one of the other things before we kind of uh, Transition to biblical theology that one of the my favorite things about your book is the title uh, Not just There's several books about and even recent books about the church uh, but calling it the local church and thinking about the dynamic of broad ecclesiology, theology, but centering it on this emphasis on the local church. Um, So sometimes even students or pastors start to think of the church as kind of like either the universal church or most often just the generic church. We're just thinking about the church in America or the church at large. It's a very different thing uh, when you start thinking about the local church that you actually are a part of having resources to think theologically about that uh, is similar to those broader categories, but definitely it functions in a different way.
1: Well, that was very intentional for that exact reason. Like I, I just picked up and read, like even in writings on in argument for the church, it would just, it was so generic it was like this, This it was not a church you could attend, right? So I wanted the book to right. be about a church you could actually attend, which is the only way you are connected ultimately mm-hmm. to anything larger than a local church. So it yeah. needs to be thinking of an embodied, localized reality. Uh, yeah. So that was, that was part of
0: the, even intentionality in the title. Mm-hmm. One of the other major factors, the other tsunami of, you know, not a global pandemic Uh, of a disease, but something, other things being exposed within the church. So like, um, you know, just the revelation of widespread abuse uh, in the church. You you address this a few times in a few different ways. What do you, what would you say is some of the resources of thinking about the local church that help us navigate that question about if someone's objection to the church is not abstract or theoretical, it's a it's a rejection of the local church because in their local church, they were hurt or harmed in some way. What are some of the ways that you would kind of navigate through or what resources does the doctrine of the church have for us uh, for those kind of uh, situations?
1: Yeah, that, that's a good question. And actually, as I've spoken to a couple groups of 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 people since the book came out, that's been the biggest pushback not against the book per se, but against the argument. It's just simply mm-hmm. saying, well, even if I see a need for that uh, or for the church, my experience has so wounded me. And mm-hmm. and part of me wants to say, and, and I think we've seen this being unveiled in, in recent years, even and maybe especially in the Chicagoland area where I live, uh, is we do need to be listening to that and being sensitive to that and setting up structures to try to avoid that ever happening. But 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 I guess my argument would be this, and I said this to an individual not long ago. I said, I gave my own story. Like I grew up without a dad in the home and arguably had a, therefore, more negative experience of a two-parent family in the role of a dad. But that doesn't mean that's an argument that I don't need one mm-hmm. or shouldn't want one. And, and And that's a simpler example. I wasn't like abused, of course, but like other you could have situations of an abusive parent or abusive father or whatever the case may be. And the very fact that you're wounded by that is proof that it's not the way that it's supposed to be, and the thing itself is significant. So, I, I doesn't avoid the fact that there's going to be people with trauma and are going to have to work through the realities of the church, so I'm not trying to demean that at all. But the very fact that we talk about single-parent families or me, part of my story is growing up with a, w- without a dad, only only gives warrant to the fact that what I was supposed to have, what God's design is. For every biological child is to have a mom and a dad is to have a family. And I would think biblically what God's design is for every spiritual child is to have a spiritual home called the local church. And there can be versions of that where there's abuse that needs to be dealt with. There can be trauma, but, but, the, but the design isn't different. It mm-hmm. just is corrupted and needs to be repaired. So all I just right. thinking of it by design and comparing the biological family to the spiritual family, for me, just gives warranted. This is how God designed to raise up children, as Calvin says, uh, kings and peasants alike in his commentary in Ephesians. Um, and and we all need to have a spiritual family in the same way that we all need to have a biological family. In mm-hmm. fact, our existence is based upon. it.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of the argument of your, uh, approach to the function of the church in God's providence, that the, even the deep wounds that come from that context can be met with the deep, uh, comfort and balm of the gospel and the gospel community. Yeah, that's good. That's fine. Um, well, I'd love to, uh, transition now to thinking about the discipline of biblical theology, and then maybe some of the, the ways that the task of biblical theology connects to the local church and the local churches. Uh, ten years ago, uh, you and Darian Lockett co-authored Understanding Biblical Theology, a Comparative Approach uh, with Zondervan, which also uh, when I thought about this question, I thought, man, its I can't believe it's been 10 years. In some ways, it's been a long time since this has come out, but in, in other sense, when you're thinking about broader patterns, this is still very recent and very uh, contemporary. So in your view... Uh, Someone that's familiar with this book uh, What are some of the central insights You think uh, this spectrum has Established and uh, do you Have any reflections on how the This BT spectrum and these Overall categories have been received By readers
1: yeah Great great question I I mean so A little history might be helpful uh, Or at least enjoyable I Hope Uh, yeah so it Actually is 20 years ago So 2002 When Darian Lockett and I we actually first met in St. Andrews, University of St. Andrews in Scotland, uh, and we started participating in a seminar there while we were both doing New Testament, and there was a biblical study seminar for PhD students. There was a special seminar that was really kind of chaired and, and envisioned by Chris Seitz, a student of Brevard Childs. Mm-hmm. And Seitz, along with several other faculty and several students, did this scripture and theology seminar that was more than a little eye-opening for many of us. I mean, including several other current professors and writers like a Jonathan Pennington and a Mark Ginolet, people that are now, whether Southern Seminary, Mark's at Beeson, uh, Darian is at Talbot, by the where I used to be, I mean, and several others. We, coming from our evangelical world, um, with a probably strongly historical approach to Scripture, which is good and right, that lacked a bit of that theological expansiveness that you might see has been kind of a push or a movement in certain ways, that seminar was pivotal. And we were reading everything from Hans Frey, clips of the biblical narrative, to Bart's Romans commentary, to Luther's work on the Psalms. I mean, you name it, we were all over the place. And we walked away from that, you know, three years later, graduating in 05, feeling like, wow, there is a biblical theology is a wax nose, like it just goes every, every direction. Um, You just got, there's really not biblical theology. There's biblical theologies and different traditions and things defined in different ways. So in the midst of that seminar, we decided we were almost in some ways needing to clarify a bit. Like that's all we were trying to do is give some clarification. So eventually Darian came to Biola where I was also working. And I remember we would literally just sit in his living room or, At at some at some pub somewhere in Southern California. And we're like writing down on napkins and paper. What is biblical theology? Like, how do we frame it? Mm -hmm. And we just tried to write a cartograph, a, a map, so to speak. And again, the map is not like a GPS on a cell phone. The map is a little bit more advanced, but similar to one of my kids got a like cartoonish map of the United States that was like a placemat. Right. Mm-hmm. And it would have like, you know, the a little dot for Chicago and like, there's no way Chicago is covering a third of Illinois or whatever. Yeah, right. But, right. But I mean, it it gives the general location of where Chicago is, but it's it's not something that is going to fit latitude, longitude perfectly. Well, we're, while we're doing a little bit more specification than that, we were trying to just give categories and just Just something to map a general understanding of where things were going. And in that regard, that has been well-received. I mean, the the, the book has been received as a helpful way to see the different emphases, balances, even imbalances of different approaches to biblical theology and different practitioners. But I think also because we don't technically offer a definition, right? We don't just say, hey, Voss says this. We're going Vossian on us, right? we allow different voices to be this eclectic witness to the practice of biblical theology, going back to Gabler or however far back you want to go. And I think the pushback has been, wait a second, right? Um, Is it complex enough? Especially maybe the biggest challenge has been you kind of use the the kind of the, a continuum between history and theology. And even Darren and I have, we're talking about this, if we do a second edition ever, like Would it be four quadrants rather than you know, like a continuum? And all of that is fair and good. I I still feel like the book has been helpful to say, hey, modern approach biblical theology is constantly wrestling with less things ugly ditch, the challenge of history, the divine and human author. Like you're just not gonna avoid those difficult challenges. They have to find some kind of mysterious way of interlocking and interworking together. And when you put the 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 pedal to the metal kind of thing, you will find that people are doing it in slightly different ways. Mm-hmm. and 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 that's what our book was trying to show. Like it was meant to say, "Hey, especially for an incoming student who reads Brevard Child and then reads James Barr and then reads Greg Beale and then even reads some dispensational author somewhere. they're like, "What is that?" And this is a way, a little bit more than my daughter's placemat, to say, "Hey, Here's Chicago, right? Here's Dallas, and here's Philly. And generally speaking, they're doing different things, and they're coming with different assumptions, and they're going to look a little different than N.T. Wright, and they're going to look a little different than Francis Watson or some T.I.S. type person. But they are trying to say they're putting things together in a certain
0: way, and that's part of the
1: interpretive challenge of reading the whole Bible.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like The, the placement. You know, you're giving a map a place for the, you know, Someone's feast of biblical theology of thinking through uh, how how the meal that they are preparing and feasting on fits within the broader spectrum. I like that uh, like that idea. Uh, I found that the history theology spectrum that particular focus uh, has some enduring explanatory power because it forces you to consider the way that history is functioning within your approach to the Bible. You know, is it historical background information? Is it functioning as the organizing principle of your understanding of how the scriptures unfold so i think one of the uh the features of focusing on that spectrum because it plots when you plot these uh, approaches some of them are much more much closer together than you might think uh, and others are further apart but that's because the spectrum is a history theology spectrum not something else so if you shifted the spectrum those approaches would kind of uh, realign, which I think that's, as a tool, it really provides some insights that you might not have seen if you hadn't thought about the relationship between history and theology, how it's functioning as an organizing principle in someone's overall approach.
1: Well, and and, and, I, and that was part of what we noticed in our seminar. I mean, going back to that 20 years ago now, when it first began, um, I think part of what what opened up our eyes and I'm speaking, you know, with Darren, I think he would resonate with me as well. What I'm saying is the challenge of history. Uh, History is both promise, right? Like digging deep into the text and drawing out understanding culture and backgrounds, but it also becomes a bit of a problem. And it kind of just wants to like a gas, fill the whole room and take up everything. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's, it's a bull in a China shop kind of thing. And, that has been part of the both promise, but also the problem. And I just noticed in our scripture theology seminar, much of our debate was, okay, what role does history have? And can history as a science, uh, make a claim about what God is able to say through his word? And so that's, that, that's the challenge that every interpretation, every hermeneutics class, they're going to have to wrestle with that. You don't want to do less than history, but man, the Bible definitely is speaking from a context that is beyond mm-hmm. the created world. It's from the Creator Himself. Yeah. And that is just difficult to do. So each hermeneutic is even going to have a wrestling with that tension. And that seminar, you know, uh, hat, hats off to Chris Seitz and Mark Elliott and guys like that and our fellow colleagues, because that's where all of us were wrestling with that dynamic that really, for the last couple hundred years, the church itself has wrestled with.
0: Mm hmm. The idea of a seminar uh, is uh, a good metaphor as well, because even the the folks you just named, uh, there would be some family resemblance between all of y'all, but different directions, different context, uh, different kind of uh, brands of uh, biblical theology that they're they're working out, uh, but still part of a, a common project. As fully orbed categories for someone's entire approach to theology, hermeneutics, and biblical studies. These categories aren't sufficient, but that's not how, as you were mentioning, that's not how they were intended to function. So as much more like a map to help you make sense of your surroundings rather than like a detailed blueprint of how you build each step of the interpretive process.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, I remember when we were I think we were in the production stage of the book. Like I think we were trying to get endorsements. Um it was it was in the proof setting and the, uh, Zondervan showed our spectrum to N.T. Wright, and N.T. Wright looked at it and saw. If you look at it, for, you know, if you look at him, kind of left to right, right? Like he jokingly said, "This is." Middle. I heard this from our editor. He jokingly said, "This is the first time anyone has put D.A. Carson to the left of me." <laughs> and uh, I mean, the, the the reality is, and 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 to be fair, my former teacher D.A. Carson was less than satisfied. I think with our our spectrum and his. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and has written about it in in a festrift recently, and and I understand that. I I don't. I don't think our our purpose was to definitively label and slot. We were trying to provide a pedagogical tool total. That's it, right? Uh, a a cartograph, a placemat with. Uh, larger dots and city names and would normally fit anything more technical so that somebody who's 20 and taking a Theo class at Cedarville could have some categories of what they're walking into mm-hmm. and, and have a general idea of what's North and what's South and East and West nice. and what's the relationship between Chicago in comparison to something like Dallas. And, yeah. and, and, and that, that was all, but it, so to be fair, it's been a mixed bag, but I mean, the book has been used used regularly in classes of biblical theology and college and seminary. It's been cited regularly by publications. So I feel very satisfied that the book is, helped mm-hmm. the academy and the church think through those things
0: well one of the things even if um this is one of the discussions we had this semester was even as people critique the spectrum it's still a starting point uh, that allows you to uh, if you're if you're critiquing some of the nuance of the categories it still allows you to see uh several things you know every every way of approaching something or a map it shows you something but it also hides something um. So th- right. those different perspectives, figuring out the way that y'all's spectrum is functioning, I think, is a a good path to thinking about its usefulness. And it gives you something it gives you a little bit deeper uh, understanding of the discipline or at least some some guardrails. Uh, In in particular, we talked about, you know, as you're moving through this this spectrum, you lay it out there on the board, the jump from the shift from BT1 to BT2 is like a Grand Canyon. It's like we're moving from a descriptive to a confessional or a historical critical approach to biblical studies to uh, one with evangelical presuppositions about how God works in the world, the nature of Scripture. So if you're just thinking about some of those issues, like that feels like a Grand Canyon. And then as you shift from BT2 to BT3 to BT4 or 5, there's still differences, but it's like, uh, like ravines or rivers versus this Grand Canyon. So in some sense, BT1 and BT2 are strangely close on the spectrum, but it also helps as what we were talking about before. The reason they're so close is because we're plotting the relationship of how does history function within your understanding of the Overarching story or the overarching um, message of the Bible, so we do move from historical context to um, redemptive history um, as kind of an overarching theme in many of the approaches. So it's it's still a historical approach. Uh, there's still this kind of diachronic unfolding, but so on that sense they're closer together. But on theological presuppositions, they're worlds apart because you know when you move from history to redemptive history, uh, you know, history to his story, you know, this, the, there's some That's sort right. of providence going on. Those are like staggering theological claims, but in terms of the discipline though, I've always found it helpful to see and ask the question, why are BT1 and BT2 so close together? And it it helps you see something about the the discipline of biblical theology, some of the choices you're going to have to make, you know. The whole Bible is about Christ, but how is it about Christ? The whole Bible is some unfolding story, but how is it a story? How is it unfolding? And so it allows you to see some things and that also raises a question about other things.
1: Well, and even in the way like when I'm, when I'm teaching a class and I might use this spectrum and I'm on the whiteboard, right, or chalkboard, and I'm up front and I'm labeling them left to right, BT1 through BT5, when I get to BT two, uh, it was I think I think it was Kenway, a colleague a former colleague of mine at Talbot, who was who threw out those city names for the different positions within BT two: Dallas for a dispensational approach, Chicago right for like a probably a more baptistic, uh, reformed approach, and then wh- Philly for Westminster Seminary, which is like a Presbyterian reform, and even seeing them as going left to right, so like the 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 Dallas BT2 is closer to BT1 because of the way that it sees a stronger discontinuity between the Old and the New Testament mm. whereas by the time you get to Philly within BT2 it's on the right side moving to a much more continuity between the Old and the New Testament and then by the time you get to BT3 there's there's much more unity between the two so even seeing Dallas Chicago and Philly as within the spectrum of moving from the dominant role of history to the special history, and we say that at one point regarding like redemptive history or salvation history, like it's a it's a divine theological history. But there's still a lot of history there mm-hmm. that's essential that at least fits both your tradition and mine, and maybe some of your listeners of of understanding. men. why is MacArthur going to be literally call out somebody doesn't hold the premillennialism as almost a heretic, and why is tim keller all over the place when the way he preaches and teaches
0: mm-hmm. well
1: you probably see the difference between a bt2 dallas and the bt2 philly is what you're seeing right
0: yeah and I, in one sense the after you move from bt1 to bt2 um, those differences have a direct impact on both the process and product of biblical theology but some of those change some of those shifts and differences um I would consider in some ways intramural um in terms of like theological positions about scripture about providence and and those things but those hermeneutical decisions still definitely have a impact on the way that you conceive of the discipline that's right that's right absolutely i thought one of the most useful uh enduringly useful elements of the book is for a pastor or student it's what you've mentioned before and you kind of hit at a couple times in the intro and conclusion that this is not a new definition of biblical theology but rather showing what the nexus of issues are that are organic to the task of biblical theology and so that's the kind of really helpful subplot of the book as well is that you are plotting a spectrum but then you're asking the question here's a nexus of issues, the relationship between the Testaments, the uh, the way that uh, an individual uh, topic is being understood.
1: Yeah, and that and that was and that that's our hope that, that our hope is I mean, I I, I the hope is that it, it 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 lays the land a bit, right? The the a bit of the history of the discussion over the last however many couple decades or even a couple generations, but that it, it kind of probes deeper into all these deeper levels that deal with academic issues, but then ecclesial church issues. And mm-hmm. to realize that biblical theology is not just something that the academician practices, it's something that every Christian practices. And yeah. so
0: our own convictions on that become significant. One of the reasons why the, the spectrum is useful, but um, has limitations for, uh, in some ways, is because scholars and just people in general don't typically like to label themselves or box themselves in. I remember at the the ETS discussion the panel discussion uh, early right after the book came out it was you and Darian but uh Beal Hamilton Paul House you asked the question like where would you land uh and you know no one really wanted to say where they land and I remember you saying why not it's a map you know it's not it's not your whole approach It's just like, here's a map. Help us see kind of where you're at on these things. But
1: yeah, that was an interesting discussion. And I mean, I'm just I thank the Lord that the book's been useful for students of Scripture because it. and to be honest with you, it's and Darian, I think would say this too. this book is just Darian and me trying to figure it out for ourselves. Right. I mean, we're just we're just regurgitating what we wrestled with in a seminar and that we, too, are trying to learn. To read god's word for god's world in a biblical theological way
0: yeah that's that's really helpful well one of the aspects you're kind of shifting back kind of pulling these two uh, areas together one of the aspects that y'all identify in the book is the relationship between the academy and the church and so different approaches calibrate the relationship between these two domains of course in contrasting ways but what would you say are some of the key ways that biblical theology can shape ministry within the context of a local church
1: well that's a great question. I mean that in reference to the book, if I could just say this first before I get to the practical point of the question, but the book is definitely feeling one of the it could call it history theology, right? But the, the, the two opposing tensions um are the authority of the academy and the authority of the church and mm-hmm. and, and 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 if history is the Wissenschaften scientific, right? Uh, authority of the church since the University of Berlin, Schleiermacher, right? You name that, whatever that may be. So then the church also has made a claim on authority, right? Even think of uh, the book, Martin Collar's book, the Jesus of history, and the Christ of faith, right? Like you just, mm-hmm. the, even Jesus's name is split between those two domains. And so biblical theology is unavoidably wrestling with that. But for all Christians and for every pastor and ministry leader, uh, biblical theology is just trying to grasp, at, a, at the simple level, the theology of the Bible. That is both a truth to be known and understood, and a a, a, a reality to be practiced and lived. Right. So mm-hmm. you could even say that my little local church book is a biblical theology of the local church. It wouldn't it wouldn't take much tweaking to just call it that as a subtitle. Yeah. Um. And maybe add a few dimensions to it Even if it's brief for that right? Normally those are a little longer But the reality is it is a bit of a biblical theology It's just I'm explaining the church In a pastoral way But to do that I'm trying to get the theology of the Bible Inclusive mm-hmm. of Old and New Testament And its prescription for us today So I can't imagine Anybody in ministry And I say this as a pastor Not using biblical theology Every time they determine How should we practice the Lord's Supper um, should should we put a baptismal in the sanctuary or do we just do it on the, the river? Mm. Uh, is church membership important or not? Uh, every application to a sermon or the meaning of a text. I mean, all of that, even even do we do a campus? Uh, do we do a screen? Do we have an eye campus or do what? What's the point of the gathered body? Like all of that is is feeding off the caloric energy of biblical theology, mm-hmm. and 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 that becomes super relevant for the pastor and even just the average Christian.
0: Yeah, because those are questions that seem like just small logistic questions, but once you start asking the reasons or what are the ways that we need to answer that question, then then they start to become bigger—questions that are big enough that it requires, as you mentioned in the book, the whole biblical storyline— The whole the whole of biblical theology to present even a sufficient answer to those.
1: Well, well, and even the fact that I'm a I'm not a Presbyterian, right? I go to a free church. I'm Baptistic. Well, that's that's from biblical theology. It's not just because the Presbyterian church is too far away or that my dear brothers and sisters, uh, I'm radically disagreeing with them in certain ways. Darian Lockett, the author of the the Bib book, with me, he goes to a Presbyterian church I'm part of a free church, but we have a slightly it's a secondary issue, it's not gospel. But we have a we have a slightly different biblical theology that ends up putting us in different local churches, and that's that's just the reality that biblical theology is very practical and essential to live out the Christian life. So I would hope, I mean we talk about biblical literacy, uh, clearly there's biblical literacy in the pew about the local church, but man, biblical theology becomes an essential a uh, tool for the local church leadership and pastors, elder boards—you, uh, you name it. Ministry mm-hmm. leaders need to understand biblical theology. They may not—they ha- may not be reading James Barr and Brevard Childs, but they should be understanding the story of the Bible, the scaffolding of Scripture that helps us mm-hmm. build our houses of worship and the h- houses we live in.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the last things y'all say in the Understanding Biblical Theology book is that. For the church, biblical theology is not a method, but a way of life and that it's it's woven into the very fabric of of what you're doing
1: well, I'm, And I wonder, yeah, I wonder if we could even say By way, I mean you saying way of life I wonder if like it's biblical theology is the meat of biblical wisdom, right? It's mm-hmm. just like rightly living out truth and grace in the world connecting God's word, which means we know it, we understand it to God's world. That is ultimately the goal of every local church and Christian Mm -hmm. and biblical theology is one of the primary tools by which that happens. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe, and and there, there's been a huge push. I mean, there's been a huge push for commentary series. Lexham press is doing one of biblical theological commentary series or other kinds of resources. So I, I think like the topic of the local church, in god's providence biblical theology has been seen as not just an academic discipline framed as a biblical theology old testament mm-hmm. new testament theology class at cedarville for example or ted's it also is something that every pastor should be learning and knowing mm-hmm. and
0: practicing yeah and so one of the things that has really struck me over the last 10 years working in this field is the uh what seemed like a theoretical hurdle between actual ministry and biblical theological study um, working with biblical theology for any length of time you start to see the connection so if if preaching is something different than exegesis in a different location you know as you're thinking what is that you know if you're thinking about preaching as preaching the whole counsel of god and even just a biblical text one of the things you're going to absolutely need in the pulpit is biblical theology and a biblical theological approach to um proclaiming God's word or counseling people as you're thinking about well I need to I need to articulate the gospel here in about 2 minutes in a way that's correct and accurate but also directly related to this person's need or this tragedy or this critique of someone's um, you know practice and it's like well being able to articulate and what goes into what you say in those moments oftentimes is not the result of just spontaneous uh, inspiration it's your prior work and how you understand how the bible fits together um, thinking like that so something like preaching and counseling and just the warp and woof of church ministry I think sometimes it's harder for students or even just someone uh, starting a ministry to see how interlocked and organic uh, those those things are. Oh, that it, it's that's why it's almost it's almost important to think
1: uh, whatever analogy would work but it's kind of like you we're living off calories from meals eaten how many hours mm-hmm. or days before or we're living off mm-hmm. the energy we gained from sleep over the last 8 days in every moment of this current moment. I preached this past Sunday on First Samuel 15, a text that says in verse three, God commanded the slaughter of not just the men and the women, but children and infants. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I focused on that verse and and, and addressed that, but it, that was totally me using a biblical theological understanding of God and His way and that even moment in biblical history to explain what on modern ears or really any human ears would sound shocking. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it wasn't just exegetical and I'm not sure there ever is such a thing without biblical theology, but that was very much preaching is an act and practice of biblical theology, even if it's in the moorings of what you're beginning to talk about in your study. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, it's it's a significant discipline for the local church and the local church leader.
0: Yeah, students training for ministry are sometimes anxious about how their study relates to actual practice of ministry, as we're talking about. So on the one hand, this question arises, how will I actually, quote unquote, use this academic work that I've done? And on the other hand, this reality that there's lots of things that seminary didn't prepare me for or that won't prepare me for. And so one thing you mentioned in your book on the local church that I think helps in this kind of dynamic You talk about how when you're in ministry you're not doing quote the work of the category of pastor but you're an individual congregations pastor you're their pastor Uh, you're not just some version of a pastor theologian that you've kind of thought about (laughs) but you're actually their pastor and that that makes all the difference in how you relate the your own study your own thinking to local church ministry
1: yeah i mean and you're just speaking about that our ministry is contextualized and individualized in that way. One thing I would say like to your students specifically or any student listening, I think we live in this transactional age where we just, we think of learning as we think of it so transactionally that it's like, well, what am I immediately doing with this? Mm -hmm. Um, And the reality is the true purpose of education is to make us a kind of person. Mm -hmm. So, Learning biblical theology or these skills or the languages isn't about it's immediately translatable into some kind of economic system, but that you're being formed to think to see like what your eyes recognize in the text requires a deep biblical theology. So it's not even what you're preaching. You can't even read it right if you're not seeing all of the connections that scripture is trying to make. So it's making you your study is making you a kind of person out of which you will live and move and do your ministry and you can't even pinpoint necessarily well Mm. this moment is transactional based on a class i took back in 84 you can't even do that because it's just become part of you and you're just living out that kind of reality and so we need to move away from seeing it as mere transactional what am i going to do with this and 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 ask the question how is this forming me as a person Mm. that's ultimately the main goal of education
0: yeah that's excellent and with that focus too you're no longer asking as you as you mentioned um you know you're no longer trying to itemize well which class or which skill am i using here or how am i going to use this that or the other in a particular task like exegesis or preaching or counseling but i hear you saying that um you bring all of your study in prep to every task, every time you do it, uh, as a pastor or, or in ministry, or even just thinking yourself.
1: Well, well I, I mean, I met with a, I met with a couple recently talking about marriage issues, and I brought to the table exegetical skills I learned and speaking about a particular text, biblical theology of defining what is marriage. How about even this? How about I related to the husband in a certain way that resonated with my own being raised without a dad. It was I? Like, I mean, I wouldn't even just all classes. It was my own person that, at key moments and in key mm-hmm. ways, was part of our conversation to speak to and exhort and encourage and love a young couple in our particular church. I mean, you 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 just can't categorize that, or it's not mere transaction. It was just me, my person, the mm-hmm. ways God works through teachers, the way God works through experiences, uh, that that kind of thicker view of our personhood and ministry might be an encouragement to the student who doesn't see the value of this class or even see the value of some of their past that mm-hmm. in God's beautiful providence will be part of the machinery he will use for their life in ministry.
0: Yeah, that's a good word. Well, I want to uh, respect your time here. Um, my concluding question is usually a more reflective question and there's uh, there's a lot going on in our world that is discouraging, uh, but what is something? Uh, you've experienced or reflected upon recently that gives you hope
1: yeah that's a good question i mean i mean what what comes to mind when i hear the question is some of the study our church has been doing in first samuel where you see the utter failure of so many aspects of god's people that is demoralizing like samuel himself like weeping and just seeing the failures of King Saul, for example, mm-hmm. and yet what we've been seeing as a church in First Samuel is how all, none of that surprised God at all, nor in the least hindered him from doing exactly what he was going to do to perfection for his purposes, for his people, and for the world. And man, I I just, the parallel to our day is so important in seeing that some of the political chaos and church division and and, and disunity that we're facing in a very heated age, is to know that in the midst of all that, just like with the people of old, so the current people of God, God is working in a way to perfection to accomplish what He alone will certify, and 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 we can trust Him in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe even our individual, your individual, for example, your students. Uh, and, and their par- particular work and moment to see that all of that is part of God's providential provision. I've grown to trust God's providence, and I want to do that in this day and in the days to come.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really helpful. That's good. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Your work and ministry has definitely been a great help to me, and has prompted much helpful conversation in our classrooms and among colleagues, so very much appreciated. Thanks for having me.